0: Good morning, everyone. Let's try that again. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Perfect. Hi, everyone. I'm Donovan Brown, Principal DevOps
1: Manager here at Microsoft. And I'm so happy to have with me Aaron. Aaron, why don't you tell everyone what you do here? Yeah, at thanks, Donovan. Uh, Aaron Bjork, I'm a Principal Group Print program manager here, I uh, get that right. Uh, I work on the Visual Studio Team Services product, VSTS and Team Foundation Server, TFS.
0: Perfect. So, you and I both go around the world telling our transformation story, how Microsoft is actually on the same transition to DevOps as all of our customers are. And we hope that they can learn from a lot of the things that we've actually been doing. One of the questions that I get most often after I'm done telling that story is, how in the world do you keep all the teams consistent from an architectural standpoint and from a user interface standpoint? So, first of all, we're content we're continuously growing. How many feature teams do we currently have today?
1: Yeah, I didn't I didn't count before I came here, but I would I would say it's probably in like the fifty neighborhoods. Gotcha. So, yeah, and a feature team for us is typically about you know eight to ten people Great. co-located working together. Perfect. So, yeah, I'd say probably about fifty teams.
0: Great. So when I go to the Visual Studio Team Services UI, I can see there's a UI for release and there's one for build and there's one for work item tracking and then there's one for package management. How in the world do they uh, like how do they stay consistent? And when you're building a Scrum team, it's supposed to be a cross-functional team, which means every discipline that you need is represented on that team. Yeah. But I have to fill with that many, we don't have that many UI people. So how does that work?
1: Yeah, well um, I'll, I'll try to describe it a little bit. Okay. The first thing to know is that we, we really strive to make sure that our teams are are vertically focused as much as possible. So you've got you've got layers in your architecture, right? With your UI being the top, your, your database and your platform being the bottom we really strive and have switched to an approach where the vast majority of our teams are vertical teams. So they do own sort of end-to-end capabilities through the product. And, and we do that so that they sort of can control their own destiny and, and own that themselves, right? They're, they don't have too many dependencies on other teams. But that leads to the exact question, which was then, well, how do you do it all consistently when you get 50 teams all doing UI? Um, <laughs> so first, the first thing to do is, is the teams are fairly well um, sort of load balanced in terms of capability. I would say, uh, believe it or not, I would say the vast majority of our engineers are well-versed in CSS, HTML, JavaScript. Like, there's, uh, I think we, we value much more of a hybrid skill set than ever before. You know, uh, in years past, we had, we had specialists. Sure. We still do have people that specialize, sure. but we really value people knowing um, multiple parts of the stack.
0: Right, but what you just mentioned was technology. Right. CSS, styles, right. and some of that, but yeah. yeah but, just because I'm, I remember I used to run Teams and yeah. I could tell you by looking at the screen who wrote that. Yeah. Because Donovan loves radio buttons and Abel loves checkboxes. Yeah. And I could look at that screen and count the number of checkboxes and know that Abel wrote that. So just because I'm yeah. good with CSS, there's still an issue of how do I stay consistent across what, when do I use a dropdown versus
1: a checkbox yeah. and stuff
0: like that. So how yeah. does that work?
1: Perfect, so here, here's what goes into that. Um, even though we are aligned vertically, Um, we still have nominated leaders of areas of the product. So uh, a good example, that is UI. I happen to be the sort of person responsible to make sure that we are doing UI consistently across all all the teams. So so how do we make that happen? Uh, First thing is we have uh, clear design guidelines that we follow. So um, that's probably not too big of a surprise, but we have a, a large library of guidelines. They mostly look like PowerPoint decks and a website that we use to... Um, say, hey, when we're building UI, don't go sort of roll your own, go roll from patterns that we've already established. And we've actually worked pretty hard over the last year or so to really beef up and improve that. We've still got a long way to go. So um, even you, know, you talked about all the UI that we've got, I can point out all the places we are inconsistent. I've done videos so on I, it. Yeah, we've yeah, we, done videos we are on not, it. <laughs> uh, we're not a shining star <laughs> example of this yet, but we are striving to be. Absolutely. So the first, um, the first piece is sort of a nominated owner, um, a clear set of guidelines. Uh, the second thing is we actually have a central design team that works across all of our teams. So uh, we don't have uh, a designer, if you will, uh, dedicated to every team. Okay. I wish we did. Sure. Although that would create a, a whole nother set of problems, problems of for staying sure. aligned. But we have a few designers that sort of work in areas, and, and those designers are sort of charged with making sure that an area Follows a pattern consistently and applies that pattern consistently, so they get kind of embedded into teams as teams are taking on new UI to make sure that we're we're doing it the right way. Gotcha. Um, and then I, I would say even as we as we move through the development of a feature, there is a fair amount of iteration that happens For where sure. you know you see it start and maybe the the feature takes you um, you know three sprints total to complete. Uh, by the end of sprint two, you can see people getting in and really tweaking the UI to sort of fit and finish, make sure we're following things direct uh, appropriately and that it does line up. Okay. Um, so so those are some of the things that go into staying consistent. It's funny though because a lot of people when they hear me describe it sometimes they they they, they ask questions like, "Well, so, you know, do people have to have a meeting to get their UI approved and you're you know, right ahead have to of do me. all this?" And I'm like I'm like, no, we don't do any of that. I mean, there is, there is some level of enforcement that happens here, but for the most part, it's a, cultural, it's a cultural thing. Like, we all know we're working together. We've established that. We're all pointed in the same direction. And so, we, people know that they want to build UI that matches. And if you don't, uh, guess what you're going to do? Two sprints down the road. Like, you're going to have to come back and conform. Correct. And, and bring it back in line. Um, and then we also leave room for people to say, hey, if, if you're trying to follow the guidelines and um, it just doesn't fit, like you're, you're, you have some sort of different scenario, like, dude, raise your hand, like su- suggest that we need a new pattern. And, and we're always evolving the way we're thinking about things like that. All
0: right. Perfect. So, yeah.
1: I, I like the fact that you say,
0: you didn't quite say these words, but you were like, no, we don't have to have a meeting. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, we treat them like adults. Right? You know what I mean? I don't have, you don't have to come and ask me permission to go do your job. Right? Yeah. You know what our goal is. I hired you to do the right thing. Go do the right thing.
1: Yeah. There's a, there's a, absolutely. We, we treat them like adults and, and it's, I'll, I'll steal a line from my father because uh, speaking of adults, um, he used to tell me as, as a kid, like, I'll trust you until you give me a reason not to. Right. And so perfect. Like we trust our teams. Um, have teams given us a reason not to trust them? Sure. But but um, but you know again I don't want people I don't want people doing the right thing because the playbook says to do the right thing I want them doing the right thing because they know we trust them to do the right thing and just get better results. And
0: I also like the fact that you said you can raise your hand because I don't want them doing the right thing unless they believe it's the right thing, right. Right? And right? And if you truly believe that what we're doing is incorrect, and I've raised my hands, right? Yeah. I mean I've sent so many emails saying this isn't consistent. Why aren't you doing it this yeah. way? And I'm, I've been raising my hand as well to kind of. Consistency is my pet peeve. And if I go to build and it looks one way and I go to release and it looks another, I'm literally pulling my hair out before I type the email like, what the, you know? So that's why this is kind of an interesting one to me too because I know that we're trying our butts off. But it's hard when you have 50 teams. So my question to you is, if there is no meeting, (laughs) but you are responsible for keeping that, how do you keep an eye on what all the other teams are doing? And another question, the second of that is, when you have a centralized team in an organization that is trying to be scrum, the capacity planning, their availability, how do you deal with those constraints? Because sharing a resource doesn't mean you get them 50% here and 50% here. Even yeah. if they're only on two teams, that context switch alone takes capacity.
1: Yeah, so a uh, couple thoughts here. In terms of like how we how we just manage the resources, um, each of our like GPMs, if you will. So like I'm a GPM, group program manager. Okay. So I look after seven of the 50 teams, if okay. you will. And so I have allocated design resources that I have for my area. And it's my job to make sure that we're allocating them in the places that need them. So there is a, like a level of coordination that can happen at a higher level to make sure we're sort of um, uh, applying the resources that we have in the right places or okay. to the, to the you know, high, high ROI places. So there's a little bit of that that goes into it. Um, uh, we don't have like the meeting where you get approval, but we do, like, I have a standing um, sort of weekly meeting with key folks from across the org. Okay. Um, 30 minutes long. All we're doing is checking in on, you know, our new patterns emerging. How are we thinking about this? Is there something we need to unblock? So that's just kind of a touch point where we can stay in sync. And it helps us... Um establish that culture that we are moving in the same direction that alignment matters
0: so you said that you have that weekly yeah with about how many people because you have 50 teams you're not meeting with 50 different no there's
1: there's six of us that participate and so those are essentially like um appointed and selected people from around the org that we know have influence and authority to kind of make decisions almost like a scrum of scrums at some point a little bit yeah it's i i I don't use those words because i don't want to over imply a method that we approached, Fair that enough. we followed. But it is, it is like that, where it's a, it's a consistent touch point and, um, and we're going to kind of stay, stay in sync on new patterns that are emerging, how we do that.
0: Okay. Another
1: way then we, we do things is we are, um, um, we've gotten pretty good at, at flighting features internally. So, you know, I think you and I have talked about this. We have like certain ceremonies like team send sprint mails and videos. Mm-hmm. So you get a little bit of, you know, flavor for what's coming out as it does come out. But um, we dog food our features. And yep. so, you know, when, when features are turned on in our environment, it's an immediately a chance to go look at, hey, um, are we following the patterns correctly? And, you know, if you've got the culture and mindset right from the get-go, typically you're not going to see crazy things, wild deviations. But it's a chance to go in and, and make some changes or tweak something or, oh, okay, I see we had some new pattern over here like why did we choose to use like a sidebar instead of a dialogue and is that something we should think about uh, providing more clear guidance for teams going forward so they can get it right. So, part of what you're hearing me say too is that there's just a continual conversation going on about this. Um, I don't think you ever achieve perfect UI consistency and it all rolls off the production line perfect. But um, we've got everybody lined up that it's important, that it matters and and we're seeing that people tend to fall in line when we when we get that kind right, of so right direction.
0: Style guides are one of the way, yep. things that you're using. Obviously, touch points and reviews are another thing that you're using. What other suggestions would you give to a team who's struggling with this consistency? So style guides is one I, w- I was yeah. hoping that you were going to say. I've had those before where I literally hired a graphic artist. Yeah. And there was a book you went to. I'm doing a drop-down with yeah. two options. That's a checkbox, right? Yeah. I mean, it literally, the developers no longer got to choose yeah. what controls they use. Do you also have common, like, Controlled tool sets that the people are using.
1: Yeah, so we're um, we've adopted Fabric, which is uh, sort of an open source library, an okay. open source design library that the uh, the Office team has put out there. So um, we're leveraging that, which is like a full like set of components, style guides, and whatnot. So we're all in on that. Um, part of what I've kind of left out so far is that we we also rely on our program managers, our PMs, or product owners, if you will. Mm-hmm. To really be the um, sort of like the buck stops with them, like they don't they don't do design work, but they're responsible for the design. If if you get what I mean, okay. so I think that's a skill set that we've been really training and and growing in that group. Gotcha. Um, you know, so that we have somebody who's clearly accountable for making sure we're doing the right thing, that it looks good, and and quite frankly, it's something that. Yeah, like you said, not, not everybody is talented at, like some of us have an eye for it, some of us don't. Yeah, I don't. But it's something where um, if you don't have an eye for it, I want to make sure you're paired with somebody that does have an eye for it. And, and it's where we will look at teams and the makeup of teams to make sure that we actually feel they're capable of producing a good UI. And gotcha. I, we've got tons of talented folks that if I put them all in a room and said build something might not look as good as a, a group over here right? right and you just have to recognize that a little bit so it's a little bit of that mix shift of of um, talent to make sure you've got a, a healthy balance and
0: I think another thing that makes us very unique and I, and I warn customers when I tell this story I said you have to remember that we are our own first customer yeah and if you're not using the product in which you produce as the first line of defense you're not gonna see all the parts of it because you don't use it Like if you're a shipping company the yeah. software that you produce are for people who yeah. ship stuff, and you don't ship stuff every day, but we write software for developers and we
1: are developers. So I think we have a, almost like an advantage. Oh, totally. I, I completely agree. I, I, I talk to customers all the time and I, I empathize with them. I'm like, man, like, that's tough. I don't know. Like, we, we are developers. We are engineers. We're building tools for engineers. We run our company on the product that we're building. Um, we dog food it continually. Right. And I think it really is an advantage that we have. And yeah, I, mean. um, I know not every organization has that advantage, but like you said, you've got to use the product you're building in some way, shape or form. It's not a, you can't build it and throw it over the fence to your customers and you know cross your fingers, hope you got it right. You have to be invested in being a domain expert. And like I, like I talked about earlier, that's what we really, we strive for our program managers to really embrace that mindset. You own that end-to-end functionality, and you own the experience. Um, you own uh, how it looks, how it feels, and hopefully the the satisfaction that, that customers get from it downstream. So. Perfect. Yeah. So we've
0: been talking a lot about UI, and also you you mentioned something that I want to double click on before we leave, which you said when you have a feature that takes two or three sprints to produce. Yeah. Like we have some magic on how we deal with long-running features. So I want yeah. to go back to that. Yeah. So let's not forget that. But we talked a lot about consistency of the UI. There's also a part that people don't see, which is the architecture that yeah. underlies all of VSTS. Are similar tactics used to make sure that teams are using the same architectural uh, design patterns as we do for the UI?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's really similar. It's just kind of um, at a different layer or a different level. So, um, like very similar to how we have um, folks that look after, like I look after the UI layer. We have. Um, a, a group of folks that look after our REST APIs, and okay. the shape of a REST APIs, and they're sort of make up uh, like a little bit of a review board. They're made up of, of senior leaders who are across the set of our vertical teams. Okay. And If you're building a new REST API, uh, it's kind of expected that you conform to the guidelines, and yep. if you need help, you can get on their calendar to sit down with them and talk about the shape of your API and how should it do this, um, making sure we've got the versioning strategy for it set up correctly. But It's a very, very similar process. Um, Same with some of the low level things, like um, we have certain individuals that look after how we're writing stored procedures or the makeup of the database. Um, And you know, we've screwed this up in the past, I mean, there was a point in time in our product where we had multiple web frameworks and you know, how did we end up with multiple web frameworks in a product where we're doing well, you know, we weren't paying attention and we didn't have sort of that anointed and appointed leader who said yeah they own that layer and is going to be somebody that makes decisions at that layer. So it's probably something that I I should touch on is that I do think you can sometimes with consistency you can get bogged down in like design by committee. Okay. We have at those layers people that are responsible. So like I'm not making every decision about the UI. I I would never want to be in that role. But if the UI is wrong, it's my job to make it right. Right. So if decisions need to be made, I will make them. And we have those people at different layers to make sure that um, you can move forward and you don't end up with, you know, sort of stalling out with design by committee or too many people making too many different decisions. Yeah, I remember,
0: I think it was Steve Jobs that said something about we're gonna make decisions and we're gonna make mistakes, but at least I know decisions were being made, Yeah, right? It's better than just sitting there doing nothing, make a decision, make a mistake, let's correct it, and let's yeah. just keep at least moving forward. Yeah, right? absolutely. So very similar. Absolutely. All right, so that's, that's good to know too. So one other thing, you, you keep talking about verticals a yeah. lot, you say that over and over again, and a team owns a vertical. If I'm a developer on one of those feature teams, Am I responsible for the UI, the API, and the database stored procedures, or is the team subdivided? Because again, you, you said we talked a little bit about specialties, and we don't yeah. really like specialties. We want someone to yeah. own it. So, do I own all three layers, for example?
1: Um, I, I'd say yes. I, I'd say your team owns all three layers. So I'll I'll I'll, I'll kind of use some slightly different words. First of all, you're going to be an engineer, not a developer. Okay, because we 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 used to have developers and NTA? testers. Now that- we have engineers, Remember? and I, I tell people all the time, you know, engineers. Uh, our engineers write code, our engineers test code, our engineers deploy code. Like they do all three of those things. So, um, But I do think your team owns those things end to end. I think every team, um, it, it, it kind of depends on the makeup of the individuals to know if, uh, if you're writing a new feature, if you're gonna touch all three layers, or if you're gonna pair up with somebody else because somebody's got expertise. Gotcha. Um, I think it depends team to team. So I wouldn't say there's a one size fits all answer. But I think that's one of the elements that I I talk to people a lot about where we we sort of are proud of our um, our sort of culture of what we call aligned autonomy. And that's a great example of that. Hey, our teams are similar sized. They work in similar ways how they work. It's pretty much up to them. Like right. we don't get in their way too much there. Right. So um, I could see a different answer team to team to team.
0: Absolutely, because I know we run three-week sprints, but what you do within that three-week sprints is pretty much your. Yeah,
1: to you. I, I've got a couple teams that are, um, you know, ver- look very much like a Scrum team. You know, breaking down stories into tasks, burn down charts, the whole bit. I've got a couple teams that really follow more of a, a flow-based, Kanban-based Kanban board, approach. Yeah. They're not using tasks. They just s- very very small stories. Both are valid. Both are great. Um, if you need help, I'll, I'll help. But uh, I try to stay out of the way. On right, because that
0: three weeks is really more of a, this is where we're going to inspect and adapt. Yeah. But what you do within that three weeks is up to you. Yeah, that's,
1: yeah. That's, yeah. there's a
0: lot of autonomy within those three weeks. All right, perfect. So, so you're the only guest I've ever had twice, right? Uh, and the feature that made you so popular in the last video, and the one that I'm constantly sending people to was feature flags, right? And we kind of talked about it just, I think we talked about it several times without even saying it when you said you have features that take two or three sprints to work. Like, well, you obviously, we have 50 teams now all merging into master pretty much daily, right? So how do you do that? That's obviously feature flags. And we don't have to define it again because you go watch the other video, we've already defined it. But other questions that come out after they've watched that video is like, yeah, okay, that sounds all great, but has it ever bitten you in the butt? What are the things that we should look at if we're, or if we're trying to implement Feature Flags for the first time?
1: Yeah, so a um, couple things that have bitten us, and um, there, there's probably more uh, than I, that I'd come up with, but I know when we started with Feature Flags, we we weren't um, as aligned on how we were gonna do it as, as maybe we are now. So we, we have a pretty clear, like. If you're implementing a feature flag in our wiki, there's a, there's a clear way to go do that and a prescribed way to do it because we need to all do that the same if we're going to manage it at scale. Um, and so we had a lot of different flavors of it and we weren't tracking it super well. And so we had some problems in that they kind of got away from us. You know, We weren't cleaning them up in our code base. Uh, we had different styles of doing it. Um, and we even had struggles with... Um, we weren't being diligent about how we were turning them on and who we were turning them on for. So we've been through a couple years of really, really hammering home with our teams that we deploy through what we call um, these deployment rings and our customers are sort of segmented into that. And we very, very rarely will turn on a feature flag for a customer. We turn on a feature flag for a ring which has a set of customers in it because You know, with the number of customers that we have, with the scale that we're running, it can't have all these one-off scenarios all over the place. So we had to get real diligent about that. Um, The other thing we, we learned is that the opportunity to turn a flag on is the sprint boundary, is the deployment, is the inspect and adapt kind of time period. What we don't want to do is have feature teams starting to say, well, you know, this thing is done at the end of sprint 120 and we'll let it like, roll out, and then we'll see if it's healthy. And if it's healthy, then we'll flip the flag, right? Because now it's, it's very uncertain when that's going to happen. Okay. And, and we can't plan for it. We can't be thoughtful about it. So now, like the guidance to a team would be, hey, turn your flag on. Uh, if you're going to leave it on for only a certain, you know, uh, stage, if you will, and, and only get a certain amount of customers, leave it like that for a sprint. If you see what you want out of that, the sprint boundary is our chance to now turn it on for more people. But we don't want every team, you know, all 50 teams making different decisions during a three-week time period about when the right time is to turn on a flag. Gotcha. Uh, that can create a little bit of chaos. Right. Um, let's see. Other aspects of feature flags that have uh, bitten us. Um, <clears throat> Things jumping off the page; those yeah, are but, some of the big ones. Yeah, but
0: something that you did—you said you, you kind of schedule when you're going to turn them on. Yeah. And you want to turn them on at a sprint boundary. One of the benefits of a flag is, if all hell breaks loose, you can turn them yeah, off. You can't turn it off, right? Yeah. Do we have to schedule
1: when we're going to turn it off, no, or when no, the crap hits no. the fan, yeah. you just flip that yeah, switch yeah. as yeah. fast that's, as you that's can? That's the beauty of it. <laughs> yeah, is that you can. You can roll back very, very quickly and on demand. But and that's
0: I, a rollback in quotes because you haven't rolled yeah, back anything. It,
1: that's right. That, I used the wrong word. Yeah, yeah. You it turn is. it off. Correct. But you're, not, you're not rolling back code at right. all. Right? Right. You're just uh, taking that feature sort of out of like, the mainstream path. Right. right. And, and so you can uh, fix or adjust if needed.
0: So, at what layer do flags need to be applied? This We're talking t- typical three tiered application. You have a UI, you have a middle tier with some APIs, and then you have a database, right? Where do I put the flag? Do I have to have a Do I have to have the flag to where it's turning off UI elements and disabling APIs and hiding some stored procedures, or is it if I turn off it in the UI, there's no way for you to get to the rest? So that's that flag is effective.
1: Yeah, it it really depends on the feature, but I think we have examples of all of them. There are features that are purely sort of UI flags, and we don't worry about it. There are features that. Um, you know, go down and 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 have a um, can impact the API layer. I would say most of the time we're just versioning APIs though, so yes. we're not applying the flag in the API. Got it. Uh, in the database layer and and down deeper, yes, you'd have to apply it there. So I I would say probably it's it's more in the UI and the lowest layer, whereas the middle tier is just versioned. Gotcha. So you don't have to use them as, as a, yeah. As so as so a like the UI tier. might say, hey, uh, call this version of the API or that version of the API depending on the flag.
0: And yeah. I noticed that you just said. We've been working on this for years, right? And, and, I, and I tell people this when I'm done talking about feature flags. I always joke, that I said, listen, I say the word feature flags, I see you light up, but they're not unicorns at crap Skittles, right? Yeah. They're not all fun and games, right? There is technical debt. There is discipline that's required. Yeah. And, but I, I end in saying, but for us, the investment is well worth it. And it sounds like the fact that we haven't turned our back on feature flags after years of some of the things that you've described that have happened, we keep applying them. You must agree that the cost of not having them far outweighs the cost of having them.
1: Oh yeah, I don't know how we, we would do things today without them. like I, I kind of think back to some of the mechanics before, like you were talking about the, the integration debt we used to pay because now our engineers can essentially check into master all the time their right. code's protect, protected because it's not there. How did we do that before and I I look back on the, the approaches that we took, and it kind of you kind of shudder. You're yeah, like, long oh
0: living branches merge and uh, de- merge explosions when uh, you come up there. It's horrible.
1: Yeah, and and um, and then even the the ability now to sort of flight a feature, if you will, through stages with customer rings. Um, how do you do that without having switches that that allow that to be easy? You know, so um, yeah, I, uh, it's it's definitely you know paid dividends for us. There's no going back. Gotcha. Um, And like you said, it's not unicorns and rainbows. Um, It takes some work. I tell people that it's really kind of a part of our agile transformation, if you will, because a lot of people think of, well, like agile is just about like running a daily standup. And I go, hey, like there's so So much much more more than this. (laughs) And in fact, this is an evolution of it where our agile transformation led to us really changing the way our code looked so we could deploy it on a regular cadence every yeah. three weeks. And you don't just get that from changing the way your people talk um, and approach the work. You change it by adapting and changing the architecture, the code base. And yeah, it's taken us a while, but we've been at it for quite a few years. Yeah,
0: you mentioned something that I always say to customers too. I'll go up there and I'll do this amazing VSTS demo, I'll show them a full pipeline, and they think that that's all they needed to learn. I'm like, you don't understand, right? It's not just getting a tool chain in place. You might literally have to change the way you architect your application to be able to deploy it the way that you need to deploy it. And and I'm glad that you said that because I work for a company that sells amazing tools, but please don't think that you just install the tools and now you're going to have this amazing pipeline. I mean, you might literally have to go change the way you write your app. And it sounds like we've done that several times on changing the way we actually architect and design our apps to be more efficient this way. Yeah, I
1: think it's, it's no different than sort of the, the agile mindset of like, you know, uh, individuals and interactions over yeah. process and tools. I yeah. tell people the same thing like, hey, I'm a tools guy, I'm building tools for agile teams, uh, but don't think that my tools are going to make you agile. Like, like, you don't get it, you're, like, you're, you're thinking about it wrong, right? Like, agile is a culture, it's a mindset, and it's predominantly people problems, you know, but uh, the tools can help, the tools can aid in that, but just because you're, you've are you got a task board now doesn't mean everything just rolls into place. And I think it's no different than sort of the DevOps conversation, right? right? Like CICD is great, but like, it's not the end of the line, right? Correct. There's more Correct. that comes with it. How Correct. are you maintaining that? How are you continue, continuing to deploy? How are you, uh, yeah, dealing with changes and and, and all that kind of stuff. How are you monitoring your results? I mean, there's so much. Absolutely, it it continues down that journey. It's
0: funny that you say the part about people think that the tools are gonna fix everything. I remember I was installing TFS one day, uh, back when I was a consultant, and the guy whispers over my shoulder, oh, thank God you're installing TFS, finally we can do Agile right. I like, yeah. took my hands off the keyboard, and I looked at him like, uh, yeah. you can do Agile right long before I installed this, right? Yeah. You can do sticky notes on a whiteboard, and you can kill it doing Agile. Yeah. This is not going to fix you, right? You need yeah. to fix that first. This is just going to allow you to surface it. So, yeah. yeah, plus one. Exactly. Yeah. It's just so crazy that people think that that's all there was to it. Yep. Always enjoy our time together, man. I really do appreciate you coming and shedding some light on it. It seems like the whole theme of this was consistency. How do you keep your UI consistent? How do you keep your architecture consistent? And for you to do feature flags correctly, it was about making sure that everyone did it consistently. Yeah,
1: that's that's where that alignment is really needed. And uh, yeah, I agree. Thank you so much, All right, Aaron. Thanks, Dominic.
0: Thank you so much, everyone. See you next time.